You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, David. Chimera, Chimera, Chimera. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, got I got nothing for Chimera. I don't blame you <laughs> at all. So welcome to the final episode for this year of Spooky, everyone. Four out of four. Spookulative Evolution 2019. Wrapping up October with the Chimera. Oh boy. All month. Greek mythology monsters. Yeah. And whew, what what a one. We saved arguably the weirdest for last. Yeah. And it's probably even more weird than a lot of people realize once I start talking about what the just blatant original version was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the Chimera... Just as a reminder, the whole point of Spooky is to go through, look at these monsters, and see how, if applying the rules of evolution, could we get something that was like them, or that resembles them, or that embodies their traits, or that most fits what they're described as doing. So far this month, we've described a bird-like primate. Yep. A parasitized lizard. Yeah. (laughs) And the most horrifying take on a worm that I think I've ever encountered. Yeah, the Bobbit Hydra. (laughs) Spoilers. (laughs) So now, one last go. I hope people realize, by the way, that this isn't scripted. No, I have notes about the monster. I have some starting ideas for like, I'll need to take some notes on these concepts because we'll probably discuss those. Uh, But no, I have no idea what we're going to end up with. Yeah. And even when I have an idea at the beginning, and even if we're close to that, it's still not what I thought of, because it's always better. Which is especially cool for this one, because I I don't... Yeah, let's see see where this conversation goes. So tell us about chimeras. So chimeras... Are sharks. Chimeras are sharks, yes. They're not sharks. Are modern cousins (laughs) of sharks, chimeras, the ratfish, the ghost, ghost shark, which are deep sea. Really cool, actually. They don't have... Thin, caudal finned tails like a shark. They have this long, skinny tail, rat shark. You know, ratfish is how they got one of their names. And then they fly with their pectoral fins, the two big fins. They flap yeah, yeah. like a butterfly. But that's not what we're talking about. But that's not what we're talking about. But they were named partially because of this creature, because they looked oh. like such a mishmash. They didn't have any of the right body parts. And that's what a chimera is. So nowadays, the term chimera refers to anything that is a fusion of multiple things hodgepodge a hodgepodge so not you know conjoined twins but cat dog yes (laughs) (laughs) multiple usually animals but there are also things that are called chimera-esque things right wasn't the 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 terrible dude in full metal alchemist doing chimera work so they had chimeras in full metal alchemist which is using alchemy to fuse either animals or the attributes of animals into one another. Yeah, and if you've watched Full Metal Alchemist, you know which guy I'm talking about. Yep, yeah. yep. So a chimera is a fusion of multiple things, and that term is from this original creature. Oh. So the creature came first, the term then got used for everything else, because the original chimera was described, this is like the, the usual bare bones version, and then things got added a little bit later down the line, but is described as... A lion okay. with the head of a goat protruding from the back. Right. And then the, a tail either of a snake or that is a snake. 
hang on, a head protruding from the back. Yes. But also a tail. Yes. Okay. And so it's got, so it's the lion's tail. It's either a snake's tail or the head of a snake, the neck and head of a snake coming off. Lion body, lion head, and then a goat head just sticking off the top like you. goat head dorsal fin. Yeah. Like you planted (laughs) a tree on its back and it sprouted a goat. (laughs) And the goat head breathes fire. Naturally. Not the other two. Just the goat head. Just the goat head. (laughs) Okay. Breathes fire. And that was the chimera. Well, that sure is a thing. Yeah, and there's no, like, origin given for it. It's just the chimera. The oldest passage for it goes back to the Iliad by Homer, which is, you know, one of the most famous works of Greek uh, uh, myth. And the actual description given is a thing of immortal make. Not human, lion-fronted, snake behind, and goat in the middle. And snorting out the breath of the terrible flame of bright fire. Cool. Yeah. So the the whole thing with the chimera was just supposed to be that it was unnatural and whatnot. Right, right. Uh, But there's not like an origin given to it. There's not really a reason for why it was put together this way. It just is. And once again, it's the chimera. There weren't multiple chimeras. Right, there's one. Yeah, there's just the chimera. Over time, multiple people describing this creature have slightly changed the, the features it has. One later on, I think still by Homer, described it as having three heads, one of a grim-eyed lion, in her hinder part, a dragon, and in the, her middle, a goat, breathing forth a fearful blast of blazing fire. So once again, the goat head still is the one that breathes fire. Even though it has a dragon head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's interesting because in some versions, it refers to the tail or the back section being snake or serpent, right. other times being dragon. Which is very likely the fact that serpents, the term serpent, could be used interchangeably in many versions of mythology. Many times, if you ever hear in ancient texts something referred to something, uh, something referred to a monster as a serpent, it's usually meaning it was a dragon. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, like a sea serpent. A sea serpent, and they also they often call dragons great serpents Mm -hmm. or terrible serpents because snakes were evil uh, according to people back then. Yeah, wrong people. Wrong people. Silly people that didn't know what they were talking about. The The concept of why this monster was monstrous is that it was supposed to have, a, a, as one quote said, a single being with the force of three beasts. So it wasn't just that it has all these parts hodgepodge on, but it has the power right. of these animals. It is three beings in one body. Fusion. Ha! Like, it's that concept that now it is stronger than in any one creature should be. Right, it's a Lydragoat. Yes. <laughs> and so, this is kind of the concept there. As time went on, more things got added. Uh, <laughs> as, as usually happens. Yep. Patches and updates. Absolutely. And some of it is just kind of multiple of the definitions that are slightly different, just getting mm, smushed into one. Uh, pin, apple, pineapple, chimera. Yes. Uh, in one of them, it has three heads up front, which is the dragon, the goat, the lion, and the, the tail, the snake tail in the back, which is how you usually see it, uh, uh, drawn is with three heads up front, snake tail in the back, and then usually with wings, yep. uh, bat-like wings. And that actually did come up in some of the Greek versions. Really the modern, modern version, which if you look up in a, a monster manual style thing, It'll be a lion body, the lion head, and then on either side of it, a dragon head and a goat head, a tail that is a snake's 
body with a head on the end, and then big bat dragon wings. And I think, if I remember right, D&D's version of a chimera is very much like yeah, that. That's, At least some D&D version. That's usually what people draw. And it's, so it's basically just taking all the disparate versions right. and saying one animal, because why not? But it shares that sense that it's just pieces of lots of animals yep. stuck onto one body. Absolutely. Like many Greek monsters, typically it's considered to be female. For some reason, even though that never applies in the story that the monster must be female. Like the Hydra's never given a, a sex one way or the other. Uh, but Chimera's female, so it's a lioness. I assume our Hydra is hermaphroditic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the reason this is weird is because the Chimeras are always drawn with a mane, even though it's right, right, supposed right. to be a lioness. Because in ancient artwork... Female lions were given a short mane where the ears were exposed, while males were shown with a larger mane and ears not exposed. Right. I don't know. And it's <laughs> well, it's more impressive to show a lion with a mane. Yeah. It's like those. Uh, uh, I've seen people online point out a bunch of books, like humorously uh, uh, artistic depictions, usually in children's books, of the story of Noah's Ark. Yep. <laughs> and they'll have the two lions both have manes. <laughs> Because uh, it looks cool. It's going to be real awkward. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hmm. Oh, well, it's, I don't think this plan's going to yeah, work as well the tigers as you think. Are, The tigers are doing great. The cheetahs are doing great. Lions, where what's, are all your cubs? What's the deal? What are you doing? <laughs> you guys, you better pick it up. <laughs> we, well, we're, we were hoping to adopt. We're 30 days in. <laughs> now, there is a little bit of a, a story behind the Chimera. There's one major hero story. This is, again, an example where there's not much of a story to the chimera other than when it is killed by a hero ah so the chimera was known in most of its stories to terrorize to terrorize lycia okay which is in turkey this is a real place and so southern coast of turkey and it was just a horrid monster terrorized the landscape until it was defeated by bellerophon bellerophon by bellerophon king robert bellerophon yes <laughs> first of his name <laughs> With the help of Pegasus. Oh, cool. Way back from the Medusa uh, myth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole thing is that no one was supposed to be able to beat the Chimera because on land, no beast could match it. Because it is three beasts in one, and you, there's no possible way you could right. defeat... Right, how could you possibly do that? Yeah, how a, could it's you... a bear with the strength of three bears. As, how could you fight a goat, a lion, and a snake all at once? It's, impossible. They're mathematically, it just doesn't <laughs> add up. The numbers are against you. So what he did is he rode Pegasus and shot it from the air. like That classic, <laughs> classic approach. The most heroic way <laughs> ever. That's how I play video games. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's how I got through any levels in Dark Souls. Yeah. Fire. It's a legitimate Fire. strategy. Fire. <laughs> that's how he beat it. And then King Lycia was, you know, thwarted because he wanted Bellerophon to die because every time kings send heroes to kill something, it's actually a ploy. Yes. And there, that's the story of the Chimera. Like, it has no great big myth to it, which yeah, is actually yeah, yeah. weird. But the thing that's also interesting about it is now that the term Chimera has become a, a term in and of itself, I'll, most of the animals on our list were actually Chimeras. Yeah, I was about to say that. I was about <laughs> to say, like, it's funny because a lot of Greek monsters are Chimeras. Absolutely. Like, griffins and hippogriffs. Pegasus. Pegasus. The harpies. Are just... You're combining bits of different creatures together. Absolutely. In truth, a lot of monsters and a lot of things, like if you watch a movie monster, no, no, you know, putting down monster designers, 
But a lot of times what they'll do to inspire the monster is look at the different body parts. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to give it a crab-like exoskeleton, but I'm going to give it a crocodile-like jaw because I want it to have the feeling. It's a chimera. So our task today will be to figure out how to do that Yeah. in an actual living creature. Uh, so a little bit on the more grounded aspects of the chimera as mm-hmm. we get toward that topic. There is a potential origin to why the chimera was put in Lycia. Okay. The Lycia Way in southwest Turkey is an area with permanent gas vents coming up from the ground. Cool. And these gas vents are venting methane, which can often be caught on fire. So there are these permanent burning plumes of fire coming from the ground, which could be why the Chimera, a fire-breathing monster, was placed in Lycia. And those still exist today. You can go, you know, look at them. And so that might be why it was there. And the area is, uh, at least in some aspects, I don't know if it's the official name or not, is known as uh, Mount Chimera. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, bit of origin there. Bringing it into the more real-world science stuff, uh, there are chimeras in the medical-slash-biological sense. Yes. At least that we've named chimeras because of this myth, where it is multiple individuals in one animal. And this is not conjoined twins, where it is two people fused together by their development. This is where two individuals have become one individual because usually one absorbed the other in the womb. Mm -hmm. So it's actually the same process as a conjoined twin, but instead of our bodies just not separating as our egg would separate, it is actually fraternal twins. So conjoined twin are identical twins that when their eggs and their their embryos are separating to become two people, they don't finish. Right. And they are stuck together on some part of their body. Fraternal twins are where multiple uh, fertilizations happen and you have two babies developing. So you're twins because you're born at the same time, but you're not the same genetics. Right. Every now and then, if something goes wrong, one of those might not make it to birth they might die in the womb or just something might go slightly wrong and what can often happen is the other baby will absorb their fraternal twin so you end up with a final product so to speak that incorporates the genetics of two individuals what they will often call a mosaic yeah and what it means is when this organism whatever it may be is born It can have two sets of DNA in the same body. Genetic chimera. And this leads to some weird stuff. Basically what this can end up happening is that you can have one set of DNA in your blood and another in your organ tissue. Yes. And that's happened to people. And to where people have gotten DNA tests and it's come back with the wrong DNA for what was expected. Uh, There's some really... Tragic and scary stories where mothers have been told, you're not your children's mom. Your DNA doesn't match them at all. And then realize that they're actually a chimera. And you were taking sample from the twin they absorbed. Uh, So you can get some interesting stuff with that. You can also get this in, um, uh, 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 you can also get this in artificial ways as well. Uh, Transfers will temporarily or permanently depending on the situation make you a chimera so every time you get a blood transfusion you are a chimera for that bit of time 
until those blood cells are replaced by your own blood. But bone marrow transfers can turn you into a chimera. So bone marrow, the gooey stuff on the inside of your bone, is what makes... It's really important for our immune system, but it's what makes our blood, effectively. And for certain things like leukemia, to fight certain diseases, you can get a bone marrow transfusion from a donor. And what this does is replace usually all of your bone marrow because that's to get rid of the the disease in your body. It has to be complete that way. And that means that for the rest of your life, the blood you make will have someone else's DNA. So chimerism can happen. It's, it's real tricky when you, when it comes to the subject of the body rejecting. Yes. Things like you'll, you can have situations where the body will attack itself Mm -hmm. because it's not accepting itself. Yep. I think that this was, if I remember correctly, this was also the subject of an episode of House. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a chimera person. And so it, it's it's something that we're, we're becoming more aware of and you know has to be tested for in certain situations because it can really mess up your results. One interesting version, which is a very natural, extremely common version of chimerism, is microchimerism. Which is that when a mother, at least in humans, I don't know how much this has been documented in other animals, but in humans, when a mother is carrying a child, some of that child's stem cells can get distributed into the mother. Oh yeah, I've heard of this. So when uh, an embryo is growing inside the womb, the mother is feeding it, but also giving it lots of nutrients and other information. Like lots of epigenetic stuff happens during that time, but it can also go the other way. And... What this means is there can be cells from that embryo that can make their way into tissues of the mother and remain there potentially for life. So now mom is a chimera. Mom is part her child. Yes. In one study, they were able to see that this was actually surprisingly common when they looked at uh, the brains of a number, I don't remember the exact number, of deceased Uh, women Mm -hmm. uh, and looked for a specific gene that is only carried on the Y chromosome. Right, right. That their sons would have had. That with the typical XX genetics on their chromosome, they shouldn't have any Y. And yet they found it in a notable portion in the brain tissue. So these women were all chimeras from the sons that they had carried or given birth to. Cool. Yeah. There are some natural versions in the the animal kingdom. Anglerfish are a great example of symbiotic chimerism. These are the uh, fish, certain at certain anglerfish, keratoid anglerfish. The males are very tiny and latch onto the female and dissolve their body to be reproductive organs for the female. Yes. So the female is now both male-female in her genetic overall makeup, but some of those genes aren't hers. Right. And so... Chimerism exists, at least genetically, you know, but it doesn't get too much crazier than that in the biological world. Right. Yeah. So chimeras. All right. Yeah. Cool, cool. I like the fact that the there is an existing framework for chimerism in animals. Yes. I'm not sure how handy it will be for us to evolve our speculative chimera. No, the cl- the craziest thing we get uh, from what I looked up was a geep, which is a goat sheep uh, <laughs> that that was born in uh, Cambridge in 1984. They were able to combine the embryos of a goat and a sheep and make a geep. Weird. And I think it's happened more than once. But it looks like a goat. 
Now that's artificial. That's artificial. And we are trying to naturally exactly. evolve. But yeah. that's that's the craziest thing, like as far as this genetic chimerism, I was able to find. The only thing I can think of that might be handy for us is if is the anglerfish type thing, mm-hmm. where if you have a creature that is fused with the you know other sex with the male yeah, of it, yeah. and that has given them as an additional piece. But so, so our task here, I guess we should lay out our task. Yes, absolutely. We want an organism with the pieces of several other organisms. Yeah, that has features or parts from things that are not its own species. Now, we did multi-heads last episode. Yes, we did. Uh, and we could do it again. Mm-hmm. But I like the snake tail, the bat wings, the body of a lion, something that is a hodgepodge of different pieces, yeah. different Type different animal features. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do need to do our magical disclaimer. That's true. Because as cool as a fire-breathing goat head is, and I know we can all agree on how cool that is. Yes, it is. Is fire-breathing goat heads aren't really within the realm of evolution. There will be another episode someday, no doubt. Yes. Where we talk about fire-breathing. Yeah, we. I promise we will tackle that one to see how close we can get. Because there's no way we're never going to talk about dragons. Yes. <laughs> but perhaps it is not this day. Yeah, like, <laughs> to to randomly have one of your body parts do a thing that none of the rest of your body can do <laughs> is weird. But also, the fire breathing is difficult. So we're going to put that to the side for now. We'll focus on the hodgepodge of critter parts. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. I have many ideas. Yes. <laughs> about how you can achieve a hodgepodge of critter parts. And part of me wants to use a hodgepodge of the different methods. I think that's I think that's fitting. <laughs> to achieve our creature. So one way, of course, is actual chimerism, mm-hmm. genetic uh, uh, mixtures. Absolutely. But for me, the first real world comparison that comes to my mind when I think of a thing that is made up of different animal parts is the platypus. Platypus, yeah. Sort of the classic example of... A thing that, look, it's got the bill of a duck and the tail of a beaver and it, the body of a rat or whatever. Yeah, if we can, we might be able to achieve some of this with pure uh, convergent Yes, evolution. this is convergent evolution, as we discussed in episode 70, mm-hmm. where it, it could very well just be an animal that has evolved similar structures. Yeah, that on, at a glance really does look like a lion with goat horns or a you know winged right right you know thing so it could be that the the tail is you know very serpent like mm-hmm. do do we want it to be a lion i don't think it needs to be a lion some uh, sort of mammal yeah or something that is that shape i suppose because really if we're going with convergence it would be easiest to converge with a lion than start with a lion because all you really need to do is add a mane to it and people yeah. are going to call it a lion. <laughs> uh, like, we there, we know that from the sea lion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which looks so much like a lion, right? Well, in that case, it seems to me that it's easier to add a mane to something reptilian than mm-hmm. a snake tail to something mammalian. Yes, I think that's true. Do the, we start reptilian? We could. Uh, I had an idea with the snake tail when you mentioned it. So there's not a lot of things i can point to that are a perfect example of this but you do get those animals that that mimic predators uh, yes and that now you're getting to my what i was going to yep. suggest next was even better than convergence and we will talk mu- at, at length about this i think mimicry 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 is a 
fantastic way to get an organism with body parts that look like another yeah. organism. And especially to have a tail on uh, to have a head on your butt. Oh yeah. Is kind of a, you could absolutely have this thing with a a snake looking tail. Uh what it's using that for I don't know. Uh but that right, could right. be a a bait sort of thing or it could be a uh a distraction if we want to stick with that body shape. Mhm. So mammalian, sure. But again, if we want the snake tail, what if we start with something that is already snaky, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which raises the question, of course, of, well, how do you get something that's the shape of a lion, but that is reptilian? And which I think means we have to dip into the fossil record. I think so. Because it could be because there are archosaurs. Yes, there are. That are mammalian body shape, right? Standing on erect limbs. Yeah. But with a long tail. Mm-hmm. And I'm not thinking dinosaurs will. Yeah. I'm thinking terrestrial crocs. Yeah. Some sort of terrestrial crocodilomorph. That can have long legs underneath mm-hmm. it, but still a long reptilian tail. Absolutely. And I love the idea of it having a tail that is mimicking a head as a distraction. Like like the uh, the beaded lizards do yes. that. Mm-hmm. There are caterpillars that do that. Yeah. Uh, now, I've actually, there's also a snake that has a specifically shaped tail uh, that looks like a spider. Oh, right. Not to mimic, not to distract predators, but to attract yes. food. And that's, I think, if we're going with a, a especially if it's lion-sized, yeah. something that it's using as a way to, to lure stuff or as a distraction for something uh, is something that you could absolutely... Uh, see happening with something that size and so it could be a lure it could also be a deterrent you know if if we play on the ubiquity of snakes yep as a scary thing mm-hmm. there's that caterpillar oh yes that, at least one type of caterpillar that has its its uh they're not they're not uh the the antennae exactly though the um the cerci on the tail yes uh that look like a flicking tongue and they yeah, come in where and it's, it's built to look like a snake mm-hmm. to scare things off. And yeah, I can see you having a creature with like, oh, wait, but there's a snake nearby me. So mm-hmm. don't come near. I can't think of any large animal that does this. Yeah. But if we're dipping back to a time where there were terrestrial crocodiliforms, there were also really big predators. Yes, there were. We could also shrink it. Yes. It could be, you know, bobcat size yes. or something yes, like that, which makes could. it a little easier. Interesting. So this also would make it much easier if we're not, you know, if we don't go with giving giving it a goat head. Uh, one of my favorite versions of chimeras that I've seen in many artworks because they've chimeras shown up in tons of things dealing with Greek monsters. It's been God of War. It's been in all sorts of stuff. D&D. Oh yeah. And in the God of War one, they do an interesting thing where they kind of they it does have multiple faces, but they kind of fuse it so that. There are goat horns and goat facial features present, but it's still mostly one head. So, you know, giving features like that. And if you had, I don't know exactly how we would get the mane for sure. I was thinking two things. Mm -hmm. So at first I was thinking we can make it feathery. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, you could have something like the the pterosaur pycnofibers or the the, the dinosaurian yep. fluff, fluff. But I was also just now trying to think of how you would get multiple heads without having multiple heads, and I thought of having a frill. Ooh, what if it has a patterned frill? That is a good idea. So if you imagine sort of a combination of what frilled lizards do, so the Australian frilled lizard is, it pains me to no end. That I can say Australian frilled lizard, and I'm not sure 
more people will get what I'm talking about yep. than if I say the Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park. Yeah. But it's the frill that pops out around like, a, umbrella. like a, a solar panel. Yeah, yeah. like an umbrella. A, f- a combination of that and what butterflies do. Yeah. Where you have eye spot patterns. Like, what if it's a creature that has this frill and eye spot patterns to make it look like there are multiple faces? I really do like the frill because that would look very main-esque. Yes. Hanging off the body. And now it could look like you have multiple heads. Yeah. Look, peeking out of this mane. Yeah. And you could even uh, uh, add some of the features to that because if it has the frill, if we're going crocodilomorphs or having horny projections oh, sure. would be very easy. Absolutely. And so it could have a very goat-like horn thing going on. Uh, I like that because then it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it looks like it's it's more than it is. So now it's more than meets the eye. Yes. Now it's got this big display scare you off thing on the front. So maybe the tail is a lure. Yeah. Maybe it's luring in the back and it's it's scaring in the mm-hmm. front. I like that. I think the tail is a lure is a really cool idea in that it can then grab small animals. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now wings... My first thought with wings, because I was trying to like biomimicry is cool, but I I don't know why you would have wings as a as a mimicry feature. The fact that we've added frills to it, you could easily have, you know, like a sail kind of Mm -hmm. structure Mm -hmm. that is very wings esque. And now it's a display. Now. We are loading this thing up with display features. We are. So, like, if those are for sexual display and the front frill is for scaring predators and the back is for luring things, this is, it's a lot. It's a very (laughs) flamboyant (laughs) animal. Yeah. And the truth is, we don't necessarily have to give it all the features we mentioned because the original Chimera was just lion, goat, snake. Right. So, we can go crazy and try to give it as many as we want, but the wings did not come along until much later right 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 and in the original story it couldn't have had wings because the whole point was that Bellerophon beat it by flying yes (laughs) and it had a goat on its back yeah a goat head so where where were the wings it was not aerodynamic at all but as we discussed in the harpies episode achieving an extra set of limbs is real tough yes but mimicking an extra set of limbs having a, a feature that these sails out to the side mm. that you can sort of flap as a display. It could also be part of that same scaring off predators thing. Sails like structures. Sail like structures. Are seen in dinosaurs yeah. and lizards. Doesn't even have to be bony. It can be, you know, more cartilaginous. Oh yeah, it more could be fleshy. scoot, you know, built out of the scoots and stuff and be all all tough. Uh, so there's definitely a way, I definitely think you could get away easily with having um, just just very prominent spines, yeah. uh, like the spines off of a crocodile's tail, uh, yeah, yeah. down the back that are, uh, that can be for display or, and that could be easily just to show that I'm, I'm a big chimera, this is my territory. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it could absolutely be for defense as well. You know, if we're giving it a, a thing that's going to ward off danger potentially, and since if we're going fossil record, this would have big predators, having a big spiky back yeah. uh, could be an easy defense as well. It could also help camouflage you in your forest while you're waiting for things to get to, yes. to come to your lure. Mm-hmm. So, because that's what I keep thinking, well, we've made a big flashy animal that also has a lure. Yes, that's true. So if its display doubles as camouflage, right? The frill, when it's folded up, 
the spines on the back, Mm -hmm. if you haven't noticed it yet, are camouflage, and then it can kind of puff it all up. Yes. As display if something dangerous has come about, come come around and seen it. Yeah, I like that. Another thing that I do want to make sure to mention here, because Mm -hmm. when we talked about doing Chimera, I, I was thinking, how do you combine the features of different organisms? And here we've done convergent evolution which yep. is the very natural cheating way to do it mimicry which is almost literally doing that yep but i also want to talk about horizontal gene transfer oh yeah it's in my notes just a bit <laughs> so there's this thing for anyone out there who is unfamiliar with it normally when we talk about how genetics make it into an organism we are talking about what's called vertical transmission yes that is to say mom had it you got it yes down the generational line you are inheriting your genes that's usually how we think about gene transfer. The normal reproduction we think of in most animals of male-female having young. Even if it's something like bacteria, you're budding to give, to give rise to your daughter cells. Yes. They are inheriting your genes. Generation to generation, your descendants, the genes are descending down the generations. Vertical. However, there are cases, shockingly commonly, Oh, yeah. Where genes can just jump across huge swaths of the evolutionary tree Mm -hmm. most famously bacteria do this yeah there's a very common practice for bacteria basically they have little docking tubes yeah (laughs) that they go up to each other connect and either give or trade a little bit of dna bits of dna and so you can have two very unrelated bacteria just and now i have gained some dna between the branches of the the grand evolutionary tree. This is why naming species of bacteria is almost impossible in the way we do it with animals and plants. But that's not to say it's unique to bacteria. No, it's not. Because it does happen in, forgive, you know, what the old, the old timers would call higher organisms. Yes. But eukaryotes. Yeah. There are cases of, of genes jumping between plants, between plants and fungus. Yeah. Even in animals. Yeah. You can sometimes mediated by viruses. Yeah. So a virus will embed itself into the DNA of one organism. When it leaves, it takes a chunk of the DNA with it, hops over to another organism, and embeds itself with the extra DNA into the other creature. Yeah. So there's lots of viruses you near know, that go into your cell, rewrite your DNA to start making more of the virus. But there's some that embed DNA and then wait. They just sit there and they wait for the right moment to burst, to then activate and turn your cell into a virus factory. Those are retroviruses. They they take a while, but sometimes they don't get activated. And And then then you just have them there. Yeah. Part of your body is virus. That cycle, I believe, is called the lytic cycle. Or the lysogenic cycle. Mm -hmm. I think it's lysogenic is when you stay there. Lytic is when you explode. Yeah. Retroviruses, I don't know if it's common to them or if it's I I remember whatever I think they were the ones that it was more common but I'm not positive now usually this gene transfer doesn't like make a huge difference no it's little things here and there in bacteria it's often it's suggested that this is uh uh, used to explain how different bacteria can gain resistances absolutely from other bacteria that you can I've taken your genes and now I am resistant to that drug Mm mm-hmm there are a few cases, like there is a type of sea slug, yeah, that is that that, that appears to absorb chloroplasts from algae mm-hmm. or from plants, and then 
keep them in its cells and photosynthesize. Yeah. Which is super cool. So I really like the thought that if we want to create a creature that has this seeming hodgepodge of features that don't belong, that you could actually explain some of that. Absolutely. Of it having genes it shouldn't have. Yes, that's that's exactly where where my mind went to when I first started taking notes, because if you're wanting random genes and random features moving around, this is really one of the only ways that it's achieved naturally. Right. through some kind of horizontal gene transfer. So if someone out there is saying to themselves, wait a minute, crocodiliforms are not known to have had feathers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we could we could say that, you know, horizontal gene transfer of some sort or the other, maybe mm-hmm. virus mediated, yeah. could have brought over the developmental genes that spur fuzz development. Yeah. And so your frill can be fuzzy and look even more like a mane. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that could be achieved through horizontal gene transfer, and it's it's hard to know exactly. It's one of the questions that we ask is how much it is already affected. Yeah. Yeah. Are in other organisms' evolution. Uh, Yeah, it definitely opens up the doors for certain things, and it's very weird features. It's very cheating. It is a little bit. It's very, yeah. It's (laughs) because now we can say, oh, it's, but you have to think, like, it has to be something that would easily transfer. Yes. So in order for, you know, a, a section of genetics to spur feather development or, you know, the proto-feather fuzz, the kind of things that pterosaurs and early dinosaurs had, I imagine that would be simpler to do between archosaurs. Exactly. Assuming that crocodiliforms already have most of the genetic foundation to do that you're getting the little added bonus that your lineage didn't initially evolve. Because we don't know how ancestral feathers are Mm -hmm. within archosaurs yet. Uh, So far, it looks like happened after the split between dinosaur and uh, the crocodilian sides of archosauria. Yes. But if it went back almost to that split, they may have very similar genetics. Just missing one little bit. Another idea that I just thought of, which I really like. So there is an example of horizontal gene transfer that, if I remember correctly, it it allowed some organism to produce some molecule. I think it was carotenoids. Yep, yep, yep. And it was a fungus to a plant or or something like that. No, no, no. It was aphids, wasn't it? Yep, it it was fungus to insects. To insects. So it was aphids who gained the ability to create this certain type of protein. And carotenoids... Either carotenoids or something that sounds a lot like carotenoids mm-hmm. are pigments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I happen to know from other work that I've done that plants are able to produce far greater varieties of pigments than animals can. So there are certain colors plants can achieve that animals can't achieve through pigmentation. Mm-hmm. Like you know, certain oranges or greens and things that you w- wouldn't normally see in animals mm-hmm. because we don't have the pigmentation for it. If this is an animal based on display, I love the thought that maybe it could have gotten this gene transfer yeah. that gives it colors that you would not see in any other animal. Which really adds that unnatural creepiness. And if we're going with orange coloration if we're basing it off of the aphids yeah there's your fire right there there you go <laughs> is that you have this fiery colored frill yes <gasps> Ooh, i like, like that. that 
Oh, it, or it could have like a bright inside of the mouth color, like the the skinks Ooh, that yeah, have, yeah. or the frilled lizard, yeah. I believe, has that as well. Where it's a really vivid color inside the mouth, so when I bah at you, oh, you got a fiery inside it, of your mouth yeah, color. Yeah, <gasps> it looks it's bright orange and looks scary. Ooh, I like that better. That's cool. I like that a lot. That is fun. Wow. I was also thinking with the wings, there are certain Triassic lizard or reptiles, not lizards that develop extra bony struts yes, 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 yes. to create gliding mm-hmm, membranes. Mm-hmm. And once again, if you're closely related enough, you could convergently evolve that. Or, hey, we can do our little <laughs> HGT yep. and transfer some genes over, and now those little spines on your back can expand into these boosted display structures. Yes. Nothing crazy. Nothing. It's not an extra limb. But just a little genetic boost yes. to help you out. Keeping in mind, again, dear listeners, th- we're, this is speculation. Yes, 100%. Most real life horizontal gene transfer is minor things. It's itty, <laughs> itty bitty. This would have to be an extremely uh, exaggerated case yes. of it that is one in a million. Which is the point of speculative, of our, of our spooky evolution. But I also just wanted to make it... This is something a lot of people may not have heard of. Yeah. This isn't like magic gene swapping. No. <laughs> so it's, we're, we're, we're being exaggerative as usual. Even the uh, things like CRISPR, which is a, a human-controlled version of uh, potentially horizontal gene transfer. Sometimes it's just removing sections, but you can also add sections of DNA using special proteins that do that job. Yeah. Even though that is often, you know, held up as this this um you know the magic wand tool in paint right yes uh, this, it does what i needed to do <laughs> yes it's even though it's often discussed that way it still is usually very 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 minor things and the only yeah. way we can use it is if we understand the function of the genes we're messing with like you can't just randomly do it so right. it's usually very small stuff it's usually very subtle and difficult actually thinking about how humans have genetically engineered things because we've done that experimentally people have gone well let's put this trait in this animal Mm -hmm. because we can just to test it out yes well one of the first examples of that that i ever heard of was when they made glowing pigs yeah because there are jellyfish that glow and they took the genetics from those jellyfish and moved them over into pigs i think they did it with a bunch of different animals yeah and you got this glow in the pig's skin what if the orange coloration inside the mouth also glowed (laughs) so it's i i don't know how you got jellyfish genes yeah it would have been several stages of horizontal gene transfer to get to this unless it lives in the water yeah at the water's edge and it eats jellyfish and it absorbs the i'm getting creative yeah (laughs) it's absorbing those those pieces from it well we would (laughs) one thing that could help smooth some of this over is if this crocodilomorph chimera had particularly unusual gene repair okay you know if for some reason its genetics were i don't want to say more malleable that's the word i was gonna but more more adjustable well it because makes... their repair isn't quite the same for some reason it makes me think of dogs yeah how dogs are just really genetically variable mm-hmm. like it's easy to mess with dog genetics as is evidenced by dogs. Yep. 
So maybe it's something, yeah, the, 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 the way the genes function allows them to be relatively easily adjusted. Yeah, exactly. So what, what this would mo- most likely mean is that if this was a, a species, that it would be part of a group that is, you know, full of, of more exaggerated features. And then this would be like the peacock out of uh, uh, peacock as peacock is to birds. Right, right, right. This would be one really extreme, weird version because it had taken on an unusual amount of the features. Now, I'm sure there are, if we had a geneticist with mm-hmm. us, they could tell us some actual examples of yeah. weird genetic uh, exa- uh, weird genetic things oh, and, yeah. and plasticities. But I like this. Interesting. Yeah, this is this is a very interesting... I When I started taking notes for this episode, if I'm completely honest, I wasn't sure that we were going to arrive at an organism, per se. Same. And more just arrive at concepts and stuff i didn't know that i didn't i wasn't sure we were going to actually end up with a monster i thought the same thing because chimera is weird but i like the idea yeah so we're back in the triassic yes we have a quadrupedal terrestrial crocodiliform mm-hmm. uh, legs under the body right very archosaurian yes and, and thus very mammalian in that regard long tail that it has adjusted into a lure. So it would be not as, it wouldn't be bumpy like modern crocs. It'd be much smoother. Yeah. And looking more, you know, more enticing for something hunting it. Much more like, you know, think of a dinosaur. Yeah. Like a theropod tail is mm-hmm. a long, but maybe a little bit more maneuverable. Yeah, probably thinner at the base. And then horny head. Yep. So it's got these horns, which is not un- oh, that's unusual super easy. for archosaurs. That's easy to do. And then the frill. Yes. That is maybe also fl- fuzzy. Yes. Has patterning on it. And then I love, I love the idea that it has an orange yeah. mouth. Big display mouth. With colors that it picked up uh, that are normally not found in animals. And the cool thing with both of these displays is these could be to fend off predators or they could have been to fend off predators and now are it's displayed within the species right and maybe it's both yeah and so like it could be doing both it could have been something that when they were smaller they needed this defense and then they've gotten bigger now so they don't use it to scare off predators as much but they're using it with each other so there's multiple reasons for why you could have this yes yes and it'd be useful and then spines and and sort of sail-like structures on the back i like this creature this is a cool one it it looks as overly busy and hodgepodgey as a chimera should. Yeah, and like, it, I like that it we, looks a little awkward. <laughs> we used many different yes. methods <laughs> to achieve all these things, yeah. which I think is in this spirit of the myth. Very cool. Croc chimeras. Croc chimeras. Weird. Well, look at the what a successful spooky month this, this has been. This was a fun spooky month. I was looking forward to Greek myths because I like Greek myths, uh, but I also wasn't sure how the monsters turn out because Greek myth monsters are... They're super weird, but they're also very, uh, I don't want to say uncreative, but just strictly these animals smushed together with these animals. Like, right, right. They're very, like, you can see the seams. Usually when chimeras yes. are drawn, they're not even drawn with, like, the same fur over the whole body. It's got no, no. goat color here, <laughs> lion color here, snake color. Like, it's literally, so they, I, I wasn't sure how well these animals would work, but I've really enjoyed the ones we've created yeah so this month this year mm-hmm. for spooky we created feathery sort of flying mm-hmm. sort of monkeys stealing social monkeys we created a giant 
amphisbanian lizard. Yep. With parasites on its head. Yeah. That spits venom at you. Yep. We created a bobbit worm hydra <laughs> armed with all of its babies. Yep. And we've created this, the croc- crocodiliform chimera mm-hmm. that is all about display and being gaudy and ostentatious. <laughs> I like them. Fine additions to the spooky verse. Fine additions indeed. So there you go, everyone. Thanks for listening to Spooky again with us. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope so. If you have ideas for any of the creatures we talked about please share those let us know your speculative notions mm-hmm. if you have something that you would really love to hear about on a spooky episode let us know certainly next year we'll have another theme yep we so have some ideas see you then again next october indeed and if we're lucky we're not making any actual requests but we have gotten some cool artwork from our listeners. Yeah. If we're lucky, maybe we'll get to see some more <laughs> of our creatures brought to life on the page. No pressure artists out there. Well, one can only hope. But if you do, because I know there have been people who I know have listened to us and said, uh, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast as inspiration for art. And yeah. they sort of, you know, do artwork based on what you're talking about. If you come up with a really cool bit of art inspired by the podcast, send it to us we let us know always be happy to see it and we'll always be happy to share it we love it Mm -hmm. it's so cool absolutely well thanks everyone hope you enjoyed this spooky this spooky month and we'll see you again next year for the next spookulative evolution chimera 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 Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.